uh, going to take the moment today to, to wrap up uh, Micah, as we've been looking at for probably about uh, five, six weeks here. And it, it falls again, obviously, as we've already mentioned, on Father's Day, which uh, is a lot like Mother's Day, where uh, you have a lot of different ranges of uh, feelings about what this day can be. And uh, we recognize uh, that uh, some of you, this may be uh, just a day of celebration of, of, of your own father or being a father. Some of you, this may be a difficult day, uh, just remembering uh, what maybe was uh, because your father's not with you or uh, maybe even the strained relationship within that. So uh, we recognize all those things are possible. We recognize all those things uh, can be wrapped up in a day like today. And it's kind of, uh, you know, ironic in the moment as what we're going to be talking about in Micah chapter 7. Uh, Micah comes to this chapter and he uses a kind of style that you find more often in the Psalms, but you see throughout Scripture uh, of what's called a lament. And uh, we're not going to be lamenting fathers today. That's not the, the goal of what uh, Micah is talking about. But I think there's some things that are uh, kind of uh, foundational in what this is happening or what Micah's doing that can really be beneficial not only to fathers and dads, but to, to all of us. And so uh, we move into a, a moment of understanding what lament is and the same idea that it's kind of a, a, a wide ways of using or understanding what a lament is. It might not be a word you use very often or maybe you only hear in church, but when we talk about that, it's a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. In fact, you might read in the Bible uh, about people that were beating their chest, covering their heads in ashes and cloth, uh, covering themselves in sackcloth. And, and I doubt any of us are doing that uh, when we're in this deep sense of grief or sorrow. Uh, but this is kind of what uh, you read about. This is kind of what you, you grasp and you understand. And, and so we recognize that uh, you know, in these moments, it's very complex and it's not easy to fully grasp with words what it is to, to go through a, a moment of grief or sorrow or this lament uh, that we're using this morning. You know, when we think about uh, the complexity of human emotions, it's probably some of the things that, um, if you want to be generalizing sometimes, that, you know, females seem to have a better understanding of that earlier on, and males kind of catch up, hopefully, later on in life. Okay, you know, they've done those studies where they looked at, you know, even, uh, you know, kids uh, when they're in the playgrounds and uh, it's the females that use multiple uh, words and all these different, you know, different ways to express themselves. And sometimes you got boys, they just kind of grunt or they kind of just make noises. And sometimes that's kind of parallel and emotions. Now, that's not, that's a generalization. So we're not saying that's true for everybody in all situations, but uh, this is kind of what we find ourselves in. And so if you've been a person that have always struggled with your emotions, struggled with the, the complexity of them and not being able to find the words, uh, a lament might be something that you can kind of grasp a hold of. Or maybe you've been really good at that and you've understood the different <coughs> words and, and emotions in that, um, yet uh, there's uh, part of the lamenting process that goes on that uh, sometimes we don't wanna sit in it. We just want to hurry it up, and we want to get through it. And so we struggle sometimes when somebody is in that moment, and you're like, well, why can't you just get past it? And you can't quite express it. You can't quite get past it. 
You see, in all these different things, all these different stuff, it's, it, it's more complex than kind of what we can wrap up in a nice little bow and, and present to you by the end of this message, but we want to introduce that idea. We want to begin that conversation, that topic, and, and just leave it in a bit ability to be able to say, hey, we're beginning this. We're starting this. We're not trying to give you everything that gives you all the conclusions and gives you all the answers within uh, the 30 minutes or so that we're together. Well, here we go. In Micah chapter 7, <coughs> he begins by saying, Woe is me, for I've come, uh, or for I've become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, there's no <coughs> first ripe fig that my soul desires. Micah starts out with this idea of woe is me, and you'll find really three different kind of laments within the Bible. You'll find a lament for someone that is lamenting death, and that's a common thing that you'll see throughout scriptures. You'll also see laments when it comes to sin, and somebody recognizing their own sin and what that means before a holy God, and so they lament in that moment. Micah's lament here, though, is more about looking at just the current moral situation of the country and the nation that he's living in, and he's lamenting over it. Now, I think this is important the process that we recognize because all of us will take time at some point and evaluate whatever we see in, in the news or we'll see what's <coughs> happening in culture or we'll just see what's going on in the world around us and it will bring to us a sense of sadness or a sense of grief. We recognize, or it doesn't take long to, to see, that what's happening and what goes on in the majority of the time is not as if God, or not as how God intended it to be. That was not what it was like when there was no sin in the world with Adam and Eve and this relationship with God and all things flowed from Him. Yet we recognize, we know because of sin, this world has been uh, corrupted, this world has, ha, has broken down, and, and, and Micah is in this moment as he looks at uh, the southern kingdom, and he looks at the northern kingdom, and he sees the, the pending judgment that we've looked at, and all these things, he recognizes that this is happening, and he uses uh, an illustration about harvest. And we recognize that throughout uh, the, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the majority of when it was written was in an agricultural society. And so the concept of harvest, the concept of, uh, of agriculture was, was used throughout all of Scripture. In fact, one of the things you see very often, uh, the themes is that oil and wine speak of God's prosperity and the joy that, that comes with that. And so the growing of olives and grapes was uh, an idea <coughs> that... God uh, was, was providing for them. Now, Micah uses specifically the idea of grapes in this, but again, it, it's that overall arcing idea of lament and, and the sense in this moment that there is not this harvest, this time, and, and Micah's feeling like this is the kind of land that he's living in. This imagery, I think, is important to us to kind of grasp because... In times of domestic turmoil or war, uh, these ideas of oil and wine are, are put to the side. And there's this unrest that's taken place. And so Mike is kind of describing this idea. Moreover, when you think about even the land that they lived in in Palestine and that, that, that general area that they lived in, with the temperatures rising, that the skin would become uh, really dry and throats would become dusty and parched. Like, 
you know, almost like my allergies whenever you start feeling that, you know, sore throat or that scratchy throat. And then the, so the oil uh, and, and the wine would help in that time. It would medicate them uh, in the, the season that they were in. In fact, when David uh, said this in Psalm 104, <coughs> he said, um, wine that gladdens the heart of a man and oil that makes his face shine. He's referring to the same concept. And so Micah comes to this, he says, woe is me because the harvest is gone. There is no more of grapes. There is no more of the wine that, that soothes the throat. There is no more uh, of even the, the concept of, uh, of what a harvest comes and the oils and the, and the, the, the be able to, to soften the skin. All of that is, is gone. And, and he begins to then lament about the reasons for what he's feeling this way. He starts in verse two and three, and he talks about the godly have been swept from the land. No one upright remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled at doing evil. This idea that you know, within the time that, that there was a, a, a just a, a desire for evilness. And we know no society is perfect. No place is going to have uh, 100% everything going well or good. Even, you know, sometimes people talk about, you know, oh, I'm just trying to find the perfect church. And I'm thinking, there is no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect place. In fact, if there was, don't go there because you would just screw it up. Uh, and so, you know, we uh, recognize that. But there was something more that Micah was sharing here about the idea that, that evil has, has taken over. That idea that both hands are being used for evil. In fact, he, he goes back to a theme that we've already looked at, the idea of the leaders and the judges. In verse 3, he talks about the leaders demand gifts, the judges accept bribes, the powerful dictate what they desire, they conspire together, the whole system has been corrupt. They're not just, just you know, some people choosing some evil over good, but the, the whole system has been corrupt. This, this bro breakdown, or this moral breakdown has been inverted where evil is triumphed and good is driven out. You know, even the basic human relationships were failing. In verse 5, talks about the idea that neighbors going against each other, friend against each other, even <coughs> wife and sons and daughters, uh, the whole family and members of their own household are, are, are going at each other. You know, all these things, when you think about it, it can lead to, to some great despair can lead to, to kind of this, this dark cloud of just, you know, what reality is. You know, sometimes, you know, we, I you think it's even wise for us to just sometimes just shut the news off because we can feel that despair just overwhelming us. You know, sometimes it's better to, to turn it off and maybe, you know, turn the, the, the food channel on and just, you know, watch some baking show instead. Because we just need to, we just need to do that. And yet, in this moment, what I want you to be encouraged, though, is that Micah recognizes that a lament's purpose is not to be just in a constant state of grief and sorrow and wailing, but to move towards healing. Now, I want to pause for a second because I'm not going to tell you you've got to get there and you've got to move there. That's going to, there's going to be a process in this. There's going to be a moment, and again, it's complex, and I can't tell you you need to get over this. I need to tell you you need to move beyond it. 
I'm not gonna tell you that enough time has passed that you, you should move past this state. I'm just saying that, that, that the whole purpose of a biblical lament is to move into healing. And whatever that time may be, whatever that moment, whatever that season looks like, it's gonna come, I think, in this process that Micah lays out so clearly in this chapter. In fact, one of the things that I love about being a dad is the ability to help just, just train and teach my kids. It's one of the passions that I actually have in life is just that, that ability to watch them grow and develop and then help them keep moving and moving and moving. And I love even the season as I get older to move from you know, <coughs> being in control of, of almost every decision they make to, to, to losing control. I actually enjoy that process. I actually like the process of taking a, a back seat few months ago, my son bought his first car. It was fun just to be able to walk through the process with him, and I just kind of took a back seat in it, and I just let him take the lead. I was there to be able to help him anytime he looked at me and say, Dad, what do I do? And I say, well, here's your options. You get to choose. It's your money. <laughs> you get to choose it. And as he walked through that process, just kind of watching him learning and growing in that, it was such a, a joyful moment for me. And yet I couldn't force it. I couldn't make it to be something that I wanted him to do it according to what I thought was right or what I believed was was best. And he had to do everything that I wanted him to do. I just had to be there to to, to walk him through it. And some of this and some of us are, are in that moment. So I don't want you to feel like, you know what, you failed or you're bad or something's wrong because you don't feel the healing part of it yet. But I, I want this to be an encouragement to you. In Micah chapter seven, he switches in this one phrase as he says, as for me. Micah is describing the situation of currently of what he's living in, and yet he makes this choice in verse seven. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord for my salvation. My God will hear me. I love this verse. I love the thought of Micah in this moment, the other prophets during this time, Daniel while he's in Babylon in exile. I I, I love these moments because I think it's very, very relevant to us in the current situations that we find ourselves in. Whether you look around a society and you, you deem it a society issue, whether you look in your own home and it's an it's a issue in your home, whether it's in your own state and your own turmoil that <coughs> you're feeling in, there's this choice that Micah makes that regardless of the situations and the circumstances around them, he is going to choose what he focuses on. As for me, <coughs> Micah says, I will trust in the Lord. As for me, I will trust in the Lord. As for me, Micah says, I will build my hope on who the Lord is. He even talks about it. He says here in verse eight, rejoice not over me, O my enemies, for I, or when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be the light to me. There's strength that Micah finds, not in his own abilities, Those are going to be in darkness. Those have fallen. Even his enemies are kind of rejoicing over him right now. And Micah says, oh, don't rejoice over me because I have fallen. Don't rejoice over me because I sit in darkness. You don't recognize when I am weak in this moment is when I'm truly strong. It's the same thing that Paul said, right? When he says that, that when I am weak, I am strong, Micah is tapping into this. 
That's why some of the things I reject oftentimes, especially when they talk about men and they say, we've got to be strong and we've got to be courageous and we've got to toughen up and we've got to man up. And, and, and I get part of what they're saying, but there's another part of this that says, do we really as men? Because Micah here is saying that it's in his weakness, when it's, when it's in his silence and in the darkness, is when God then becomes the strength. It's when God then comes and, in a sense, use the same term, mans up. It's when God comes and, and makes what is weak then is strong. Like There's a part of us men, I think, in this moment that we've got to recognize lamenting and being weak and being sorrowful and grief and, and this thing. It's actually part of God's plan that we should embrace. Some of the dangers that we can have is that we have to act like we have it all together. We have to act like we've figured it all out, that we have all the answers. Micah in this moment <coughs> is saying, don't rejoice over me uh, because you see me in weakness or you see me in darkness. No, 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 this is not the end of the story because God is the one who will rise in me. God is the one <coughs> that is the light. In fact, there's even joy found in the lament. And this joy that is found for Micah is the reaction to the work of God, whether it's been promised to us or it's been already fulfilled. Joy expresses the fact that God's kingdom is at work. You see, in this moment, <coughs> Micah doesn't have any evidence to tell his enemies, see, I'll show you exactly what's happening in this moment. In fact, it appears that his enemies are winning. Yet what Micah's joy is coming and what his hope is resting on is the fact that he knows that God will be faithful and God is continuing to work. And even though his promise hasn't been fulfilled, it will be fulfilled because God will stay faithful. In fact, it's the hope that you and I have even now today. Revelations tells us the fact that it was said of us that day, we'll never again Will they go hungry? Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, <clears throat> nor scorching heat. For the lamb is the center of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, even in the midst of grief and sorrow and lamenting, there can be joy, not in what is happening, but in the promise of what is coming. And the joy is not an emotional feeling that I have. A joy is not an emotional happiness I have. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that comes from the Spirit, reminding us again that God's promise will be fulfilled. And even though you may feel weak, even though you may feel in darkness, your, your joy is not in what you feel, but it is in the promise that God has given to us. And so this is what brings joy in the middle of this moment for Micah. And he begins to, to recognize, not, not ignoring the, the reality of the hardships, not ignoring the struggles, but joy is not dependent upon them. And so Micah now, uh, in the next few verses, compares the nations and the work God has already done. He, he goes back into a little bit of a history lesson. And he tells the nations again, you're, you're, you're enjoying this moment, but let me remind you in this moment that God has not ceased being God. In fact, there was another moment in history, and he refers to the exodus and in, in, in bringing out uh, the Israel from, from Egypt. And in that moment, <coughs> how Egypt felt like they had everything and that, that everything was under their power and their control, and in that reality, it was under God's power and control. 
And so this moment, he reminds them that, and then he concludes it in verse 18 when he says, and who is a God like you? Parting the iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance, who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. As Micah remembers and is encouraged by the the faithfulness of God in the past, as he thinks about the future in the current situation he is, he then comes to the very foundation of why all of this is even possible for him to have hope and joy in the midst of sorrow is because of who God is. Who God is. You see, we can bet our lives not on circumstances, Not on what we're guessing God is doing or what God might not be doing, but we can have hope and we can bet our lives because of who he is. The very nature and character of God is what we have our hope and joy in. Micah says, who is a God like you? Becky was saying it earlier as she was kind of transitioning us into this time, again, totally not knowing what I was going to say, but talking about Peter saying, you know, where else are we going to go? Who else is like you, God? Who else can we turn to? In fact, this idea, this theme here is almost a theme of the entire book because Micah's name, as we talked about, was who is like Yahweh? Who is like God? Who is like the one who brought Israel out of Egypt? Who is the one that even in the midst of the judgment that is coming because of the moral corruption of the northern and southern kingdom, not reflecting who Jesus is, having systematic you know, uh, 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 oppression and, uh, and injustice to people all over their country, and yet God is still a God who is compassionate and forgiving God. Micah says even this moment that the inheritance, he says the, the remnant, they are, are, are not going to be forgotten. That, that they're going to be taken care of, that God will not forget them. The remnant, who's the remnant? Is those who seek and understand that they have to receive forgiveness from God. It was those that even in exile would turn to God. They would put their faith and trust in him, even in circumstances. This is who that remnant is. In fact, it carries on in the theme about who, who is in God's kingdom. As Jesus sits on the, on, on the mount and he gives the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's this, this new kingdom or this new idea in the sense that it's actually an old idea coming true in its purest form of those who are part of this kingdom are those who have turned back to God and then seek to follow him as who God is. All that was from the beginning of the Old Testament, from the New Testament to ever uh, will be, and this Yahweh, who is like God, he is a God who forgives, not because uh, we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because the very nature of who he is, and there's no one that compares to him. There's no one that compares to, to, to God and Yahweh and the level of forgiveness that he grants and he gives to us. And why does he do it? He does it because he delights in it. He delights in giving mercy and compassion. He delights in forgiveness. In fact, he wraps up the chapter by saying, he will again have compassion on us. He will trend our iniquities underfoot. He will cast out our sins to the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast to Abraham, as you sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Micah is acknowledging God has done this in the past. He's going to do this again in the present. He'll do it in the future. 
and that he will throw our sins into the seas. He will forget them as far as the east is to the west. This is the beauty of who God is. This in the midst of our sorrow and our grief and our lamenting, we can come to this conclusion that God is compassionate, that he will cast out our sins in the deeps of the sea, that he will no longer hold them against us, but he will forgive us. And the conclusion that Micah reaches and comes to is the same that we can have this morning today. You see, I've shared with you before, one of the joys that I have as my job is to get up here and not know everyone's situation. I know some of your situations. I know some of the things you're going through because you've shared and I've prayed with you and we've talked about it, but I really don't know what's going on in your mind right now. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know what God is doing or what you feel like is happening, but the beauty that I know is that I get to come up here and because of God's word, I can present to you who he is. And he is a God that is forgiving and compassionate and loves mercy, and yet he is a God that will hold us all accountable to the life we've lived. He's going to hold us accountable to that. He is a God that will come and he will say to us, welcome, come. Welcome to, to, to those who, who have put their faith and trust, come to me. Those who are weary and weak, come to me. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And yet he's still the same God that looks on upon us and says, I have to deal with this sin. I have to deal with this rebellion. And in this moment, as Micah concludes it, we recognize <coughs> that emotions and conditions, they're very complex. Yet we can choose what we set your hope on. We remember what God has done and we trust who he is. And so this morning, I just want to give you an invitation. We don't do it often here at church, mainly because we don't want it to become something that just becomes routine or something that becomes just habit forming or something we just do. We want it to be something that is truly just led by God's spirit. We play a song at the end, and there's a, a steps up here. There's sometimes people refer to this as an altar. There's nothing special about it, just some space up here. But I just want to give you an invitation that if you want to come and you just want to pray that there's something that's going on that you just want to give it to the Lord or you want to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for I need you in my life. There's a spot to do that. I won't come and talk to you. I won't say anything to you. I'll sit in my pew. If you want to talk, you want to pray, I'll, I'll be glad to do that if that's your desire, but it's just a space up here that we're going to give to you this morning. In this moment, in this time, I didn't even tell anybody we were doing it because it's just God's spirit just leading in this moment. It's an invitation to come out here and to do that. As you draw the same conclusions maybe as Micah comes to, we recognize who God is. Let's just take this moment before the Lord.